Let's do it. You've got questions. We've got answers. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, thanks for joining us on this Friday edition of The Line of Fire. You've got questions. We've got answers. 866-348-7884. That's 866-34-TRUTH. The earlier in the broadcast you call, the better chance we have of getting to your call. My joy to answer any question you have that is in any way relevant to The Line of Fire, whether it is a friendly question or a hostile question, Questions, comments are warmly welcomed. 866-34-TRUTH. And a few other things to share with you along the way, but we're going straight to the phone, starting in California with Solomon. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, I'm glad to be in the Line of Fire. Awesome, uh, man. Bible Thank says, you. Go the ahead. Holy Spirit leads us to know all truth. Yep. The Christian narrative is to vote conservative because abortion and gay rights but how do you respond to, in 1962, the conservative Warren Supreme Court banned prayer and Bibles from school? In 1973, five conservative justices passed Roe v. Wade. In 2015, conservative swing vote Justice Anthony Kennedy legalized gay marriage. So would it be fair to say conservative Supreme Court justices reincarnated Jezebel with all these horrific laws? Why do you give them a pass? And how do these abominations make Democrats the Jezebel? Ah, great okay, questions. So uh, I, I love it. Yeah, I love it. First thing is, a lot of these folks Man, were not real conservatives. Awesome. That, that's, that's the first thing. A lot of them weren't really conservatives. Uh, they were moderates, and many of them had people protesting along the way that they're, they're not going to vote the right way. That's one thing. Second thing, without the true moral conservatives on the Supreme Court and the true constitutionalists, things would not have been 5-4 votes the wrong way, but 6-3 or 7-2. Number three, the reason there is a massive Jezebelic outpouring of radical feminist pro-abortion baby-killing anger towards the current Supreme Court is because they have the real potential of overturning Roe v. Wade. That being said, without question— This Jezebelic attack comes every way. This Jezebelic attack wants to take everyone down. I am not putting my trust, sir, in the Supreme Court. I am not putting my trust in the Republican Party for sure. I'm not putting my trust in President Trump. Only in Trump, right? Only in Trump. Who in the world puts their... Did you write a book entitled Donald Trump is Not My Savior, or did I write that book? Refresh my mind. I don't know because I don't read your book. Ah, well, you know, Solomon, the problem is you called the wrong show. In other words, no, your, whole, your whole, no, no, but your whole attack doesn't apply to me. I, you know what I'm saying? Why would you think I put my trust in Trump? Why in the world would you ever think that? Because I see you on Christian television promoting Donald Trump. When have you ever seen me promoting Donald Trump on Christian television? I saw you on uh, Sid Roth. That's why I called, because I, I, I heard what you were saying and how you're uh, promoting conservatism and I'm you're anti-democratic. Uh, I'm promoting Jesus. First, I, I, I don't take no. 
So, uh, Solomon, well, did Jesus you hear? Right, we'll tell, tell you what. Yes, he was love and mercy. Absolutely, yeah. but you don't but care Abraham, about the unborn. You're happy to slaughter the unborn in, in in the womb. That doesn't trouble you. No, you but G- that's what my point is. The conservatives put that in place. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They conservatives did. fought I against it. Here, here, Solomon. Here, here's here's the truth. But t- Solomon, here's the problem. You watched a TV show, but you didn't hear me. I explicitly said whether you love Donald Trump or loathe Donald Trump, he's a Jehu kind of person. He's done a lot of good, and there's a lot of collateral damage. What I say about Trump, the most ardent Trump supporter and the most ardent Trump hater will have to agree with what I said about Trump. But here, I would love to help you, but you have to listen to me. The fact is... When you talk about conservatives, they weren't true conservatives. The true conservatives fought these things. Anthony Kennedy has been a swing vote for a long time. We've been aware, we were aware of that for years. But ultimately, my trust is not in the political party. My trust is not in the president. I wrote the book with the title, Donald Trump is Not My Savior. So that's what I'm saying. You're calling the wrong person to make the point. If, if I was some dyed in the wool, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a registered Republican. I'm an independent. All right? I voted for Donald Trump, but with concern. But the ones they know, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, and I'm going to get to other calls. But I hope, I hope, I hope that you didn't dare vote Democrat. Well, also, just just one quick question: Have have you did you vote for for Barack Obama or for Hillary Clinton? I didn't vote. Okay, I respect that. I wasn't into politics until all of the white supremacists came out on the scene. What white supremacists? Well, just look at last night's rally. Look at uh, Trump rally. You'll see white supremacists everywhere. How do you know? You'll so there were black the pa- there were black panthers that came. I go black... get my haircut. I go oh, to so the barber so... shop, and all these people are cussing and hating on liberals, hating on the gay community, hating on blacks in the whoa, name whoa. of Trump. And that's been stirred up. And and I've seen gays yeah. hating on Christians for years. I get I get hate mail. Yeah, listen, I get hate mail by the second from liberals, by the second, literally by the second, from liberals, from gays, from atheists, from, from others, by the second. I don't generalize. There were, there were Black Panthers guarding voting booths to, to get people, if you're going to vote for Barack Obama, get in. If not, stay out. Does, is he a Black Panther? So Solomon, you know what you did? You exposed a lot of bias and bigotry and judgmentalism in your own heart. And I think you've got to look, look inside first and get along with God and, and, and really get to know Jesus, and then things will fall into place for you. All right. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Jeremy in Montana. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, thanks, Dr. Michael Brown. I appreciate you taking my call. You bet. I, I have a question about—so I— I really love you and Dr. James White um, with your working together in ministry, even though uh, you have your differences. Uh, and in fact, I wanted to bring that up, and I've actually listened to his take uh, and yours, both of your recent uh, recent back and forth over Calvinism and Arminianism. Mm-hmm. And my senior pastor at, at my church, my senior pastor is... Uh, leans more towards charismatic uh, uh, Arminianism, and I lean more towards uh, Reformed theology, Calvinism, but we're both kind of, you know, unified in our, you know, submitting one to another. 
And yesterday, he and I were having a conversation, and he was talking about America kind of being on a precipice right now of uh, of like a civil war. Like, we're just America is that divided right now. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you think uh, or what you believe about uh, the unity of the body of Christ and how does it matter uh, in terms of soteriology where we go from here, or does soter- soteriology play a role in that? So. How does that work together uh, in what we're doing moving forward as a body of Christ? Yeah, well, on, on the one hand, Jeremy, and, th- and thank you for the kind words and the the respect and esteem Dr. White have and I have for each other is, is genuine and from the heart. But let me first say that when we get desperate enough, when the needs are intense enough, a lot of the divisions and things that separate us are, are not as prominent. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's just like mm-hmm. when you're wealthy and prosperous, you pick what restaurant you eat at, and when you're starving, a stale piece of bread is a delicacy. So as we start to recognize the danger our country is in, the confusion our country is in, the backslidden state of so much of the church, and, and we get to a point of holy desperation and crying out and seeking the face of God, then a, a lot of these differences will become secondary in terms of, of our daily posture. Also... When the tide of revival comes in, it's often said that when the tide comes in, you don't see the fences. So when God's really moving, that can have a great unifying effect where you unite together because God's touching lives and and people are being transformed. But ultimately, where I feel it's important is you have extremes on either side. You have an extreme Arminian side where the gospel is all about me. And you have an extreme Calvinist side where God's going to do whatever he's going to do apart from me. And the fact is that if we either make it about ourselves or just kind of sit on the sidelines and let God do whatever he's going to do, either of those two extremes, then we really won't see the visitation because God responds to hunger, God responds to thirst. Now, there's the Matthew Henry side of it, you know, the famous Puritan commentator, that when God wants to send revival, he sets his people praying. But either way, we've got to pray. We, whether it started in our hearts or it started in God's heart, which I believe ultimately starts in his and he puts the hunger in ours. If we're not crying out, if we're not seeking him, if we're not desperate, we, we will not welcome God when he comes. We will not welcome the flood. That's why, you know, if you have the irrigation channels in place, when the water comes, it's, it's going to be rightly distributed. So ultimately, we want to see God move. We're desperate enough. We'll work together. And then as we disciple people, we train them according to what we believe and understand, and those things are important. But there are bigger things that matter, and, and we need to major on the majors, especially in light of the desperate situation of the church today. Hey, Jeremy, thank you for the call. Much appreciated. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Hal in Maryland. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. So I have a question. I have... Uh been recently, I just got done reading Systematic Theology by Charles Finney, and I came across his um, his chapter on the Atonement, and I was shocked because it was very different from what I've been taught and what I learned. And in a nutshell, basically, uh, Charles Finney and some other greats in that era subscribed to this governmental theory of the Atonement, and I was wondering if you are familiar with it and what you think about it. It's interesting how you mention that. Just the other day, I was putting some books out on some shelves in a, a room I took over, and, and I found my old copy of, of Finney's little systematic theology book. And I remember reading it 
years back and thinking, oh, that's that's different. But it was it was way back before I, I even had a lot of my own theology in, in place. Uh, he's heavily criticized for that. His worst critics will call him a heretic over that. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, I believe we must emphasize substitutionary atonement, meaning that Jesus died for our sins, that he was the atoning sacrifice that paid for our sins. Uh, as best as I can see, Finney also believed that and preached that, but felt the best explanation of how his death could be a death for the whole world was the so-called governmental theory, and it's more of a, of a public, God's public dealing with sin. I'll finish on the other side of the break. I do believe it's error, but I believe if you look at his other preaching and teaching, he did preach substitutionary atonement, but I would say not in the fullness it should have been preached because of the governmental emphasis. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. Remember, if you are in greater New York City area next Thursday night, so six days from today, 7.30 p.m., Rabbi Shmuley Boteach and I debating is the New Testament anti-Semitic. It should be a really important debate I believe the address is 2 West 64th Street. And again, the itinerary details are on my website, askdrbrown.org. And there should be a live stream as well. So we'll get those details out to you. So, Hal, I just want to say this last thing. Uh, governmental theory of atonement, the, the dictionary definition or popularized on, online, uh, teaches that Christ mm-hmm. suffered for humanity so that God could forgive humans without punishing them while still maintaining divine justice. It, it, it is, although some theologians will be hypercritical over this, it, it is another way of expressing aspects of substitutionary atonement. In other words, God judged Jesus rather than judging us. And Finney's thing was the, yes. the public demonstration of it. And that's why when he preaches, I was dealing with one of his critics that called him a false prophet once, and I had quote after quote after quote from Finney's, Finney's sermons, that fit right along with substitutionary atonement. So I, I, in my understanding, sir, because he was not theologically trained, he was looking at this through legal eyes, and this is what made legal sense to him. And a lot of his systematic theology really comes through those eyes and taking Scripture literally. But when he's preaching, he preaches for the glory of God. He highlights the depth of human sin, the, the human guilt, and salvation only through the cross. So it's a clear gospel message. That's why I've, I've so appreciated this preaching over the years. Well, can I interject something here? I, yeah, yeah, sure. I thought it was really interesting. I, I do see it as, a, as a fully a substitutionary thing. Jesus' mm-hmm. death was a substitute for our punishment. And in the, in the way he's, he explains it, not just him, but a lot of other theologians, too, a lot of Methodist theologians um, held on to this view of the atonement. Mm-hmm. But the thing that uh, I realized as I was studying this is the idea of Jesus paying for our sins is is not found in the Bible. It's it's not a biblical idea. Uh, well, paying you know, for what does no that mean to you? Says, when you say paying for, well, what, the way I've always heard it is in like a transactional sense, like we owed a debt and Jesus paid that debt with His lifeblood. But right. that idea is in the Bible. 
Yeah, I mean, you you might find it in Colossians two, where it talks about that the I O U. That's what the Greek term refers to. It was taken away at the cross, but but paying for our sins is the right emphasis is dying for our sins, right? So you know, mm-hmm. paying for is a subheading of that, but it is the, the emphasis needs to be substitution. That's the big thing. So I see that within the governmental theory. And and Finney's messages have ministered to me for years. I would say this, though. He was doing his least important work as a systematic theologian and his most important work as a revivalist. So although I read systematic theology decades ago, what impacted me was his lectures on revival of religion and his autobiography and, and how the emphasis, yes, should be on substitution more than paying our debt. It was taking our place and, and suffering what we should have suffered. Hey, thank you for the call. I'd love to talk more, but I want to get to some other callers, but appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go over to Stefan in Canada. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Michael. I'm glad uh, you took my call. I am still a great fan of yours. <laughs> uh, still. All anyway, right. What's coming? Yes, yes. <laughs> And I just wanted to thank you, you know. Um, you know, I pay attention and I listen to what you say. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm very impressed, I would say, that you're still standing up for the truth. And I commend you for that. Well, thank you, sir. And anyways, my question was uh, your recent tweet about uh, Rick Wilde. Where do you get... Um, where do you get uh, patience, you know, with people like that, I guess I would say? Well, I, I'm deeply concerned about where Rick Wiles and True News are, are going. They have an evangelical audience and others and have spoken uh-huh. some of the most vile anti-Semitic things I've ever heard from the lips of Christians. I mean, a recent video, I was sent a clip where they say that ISIS didn't really exist. It was just Israel. So you can imagine thinking that. And then the standard anti-Semitic lines, you know, the Jews own the White House and the Jews own the evangelicals and the Jews own Trump and every evil in the world. Somehow the, the Jews are behind. And I mean, it's, it's ugly stuff. And, and Stefan, what really concerns me, I was just showing a, a colleague of mine, is, is every day, sometimes by the minute, we get supporters of True News weighing in on our YouTube uh-huh. channel with the most vile, despicable, shocking stuff. I, I mean, praising Hitler, calling us vile, hook-nosed Jews who should die. And, you know, and, and these are the people that are a lot of his listening and viewing audience. And it's, it's frightening uh-huh. to see because, uh, as, as my producer Matt said the other day, he, Matt has studied the Holocaust for decades, and he said, now I understand how something like this could happen. Now, I am not calling Rick Wiles Hitler or comparing True News to Hitler. I'm not saying that. What we are observing, though, is how anti-Jewish sentiment can rise and become mainstream. And I have literally, in the last three months, confronted more anti-Semitism from professing Christians than I have in the previous 47 years before that. So it concerns me deeply, sir. Uh, we we reached out every way we knew how, invited him on my show. I'd go on his show, have a public formal debate. They've declined everything. My hope is that they will quickly disqualify themselves by getting more and more extreme. My fear 
is that the more extreme they get, the more extreme their followers are getting. So we need to pray for their repentance. We need to pray that God would expose the the lies. And it doesn't mean Jews can't be criticized. Of course, Jewish people fall short every day. The nation of Israel falls short. I have grave concerns about many things in the Jewish community, and it's not anti-Semitic to criticize the Jews or to criticize Israel. It's anti-Semitic to lie about them and to demonize them as a people, as a whole. Uh, Stefan, one thing when you commended me for standing for truth, I mean, I, I want to be honest. It feels to me like commending me for having a big nose. In other words, it's, I, I, I don't understand how I could function any other way. I honestly don't understand how I could live a day if I wasn't pursuing the truth and speaking the truth, regardless of cost or consequence. And, and I know that's because a lot of people pray for me, and the grace of God is on me to do it, as well as I, I know how patient God's been with me, so I try to show that same patience to others. But thank you for the kind words, and let's continue to pray for Rick and for True News. 866-34-TRUTH. We go to Kyle in Chicago. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, can you hear me? A uh, little hard. Are you, are you, there we go. That's better. Perfect. Uh, hi, uh, Dr. Michael Brown. So, <clears throat> big fan. Um, but uh, I was wondering, I believe I've heard you say uh, in the past about the Nephilim in Genesis 6, um, that they were uh, offspring of angels and uh, women. Uh, you believe that? or Yeah, that seems to be the, the most natural reading of the text and why that contributed to some of the terrible evil in the world. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm not dogmatic okay. so, on it, but it um, seems to be, and that seems to be the way it's understood elsewhere in the New Testament. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's fine. Um, I, I thought that that was uh, how you understood it. So my biggest question is, um, I don't know if you follow anybody like, uh, L.A. Marzulli, or any of those other people who research the Nephilim. But I've heard, like, Steve Quayle and some of these other people basically say that the gospel um, is all intertwined with the the Nephilim and uh, end times is going, like, we're going to see a resurgence of the Nephilim and all kinds of stuff. Uh, I was wondering, in your studies of like Revelation and the New Testament, do you see that um, that kind of... Uh... No, not, not at all. Zero. Uh, I, I see no support for that whatsoever. According to everything I can see, that the descendants of the Nephilim, so this is after the flood, many, the vast majority obviously wiped out with the flood, but then it seems that, that this happens after the flood, that they get wiped out, the, the Anakim or Rifaim or whichever other names are associated with these, that they are all wiped out, that they no longer exist, and that this was something that happened in the past and that, that will not be uh, repeated. So, no, I, I don't—Dr. Uh, Heiser, Michael Heiser, and I agree about Genesis 6, and he is one that has debunked a lot of the— the aliens and Nephilim and stuff like that, and UFOs and Nephilim. Uh, even in, in Matthew 24, where Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it's going to be before the coming of the Son of Man. I understand that to simply mean, as he goes on, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving the marriage. Then the, then the end came. Uh, I understand that to be saying that the the 
people were not listening to the warnings and just going on with normal life, and then suddenly the rain starts. It's not saying that the same wickedness that existed in the, in the days of Noah will exist now. Some draw that parallel, and, and there might be some truth to it. But do I expect Nephilim at the end and all that? No, definitely not. So I appreciate the question. Hey, um, one thing really important. By God's grace, our Jezebel books comes out Tuesday. We've got more pre-orders for this book and more buzz on Amazon and elsewhere than anything I've ever written. Something is going on. It looks like we've hit a nerve or struck a chord, whatever phrase you want to use. And, and, and I want to just remind you again, we'll do it when we come back from the break, how you can get over $50 of free material when you pre-order the book. But clock is ticking. All right, so I'll tell you how when we come back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. It is my profound joy to be with you on the Line of Fire. Uh, Really, the joy of the Lord is our strength, and I am feeling strong by His grace. 866-348-7884. My only regret on Friday is that I don't have like five hours to take your questions and calls, but we do our best in the hour that we have together. All right, so really quickly, I want to go right back to the phones. If you have not yet ordered Jezebel's War with America, you've been waiting to get closer to release date. So it releases on Tuesday. So do this today, because only a few more days to do it. Go to Jezebel'sWarWithAmerica.com, all right? Go there first when you're going to order. Then you'll have a link to Amazon or Christian Book, wherever you place your orders online normally, all right? As soon as you do that, it takes 30 seconds. You come right back there with your proof of purchase. You'll get the, the th- first three chapters sent to you in, in PDF form to start reading immediately. The day the book comes out, you'll get the ebook free. So you, get the, you buy the hardcover, you get the ebook free. So keep whichever one you want. You get the ebook free to my book, Playing with Holy Fire. You get the free ebook for Seven Secrets of the Real Messiah, plus two full video MP4 downloads, over $50 of free material. And beyond that, you'll, you'll have the book, which I believe is, is maybe the most intense book I've ever written. So Jezebel'sWarWithAmerica.com. Tell your friends, spread the word so they can take advantage of this as well. All right, straight to the phones in California. John, welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, how's it going? I'm an avid listener um, and a YouTube subscriber. <laughs> so I, Thank I you. wanted to... Um, I had a quick question. Uh, I was, I'm was i also uh, an avid listener to Alpha and Omega uh, Ministries with Dr. James White. And I, I listen to you guys both, um, so it's amazing to see both of you brothers have uh, with your perspectives and, and all that. And, oh, and, and by, by is, the way, uh, I'm scheduled tonight to be on Apologia Radio, uh, friends of James White. He's part nice. of Apologia Church, so I think we're talking about Jezebel and LGBT movement and all of this. But, yeah, a- anyway, so that's another, another uh, fun union tonight. But, yes, your question. Very nice. Yes, is Doctor. Uh, first, uh, real quick, real brief question. Um, um, Doctor James White podcast recently about um, the comments. I think it was called uh, comments on Calvinism and God's character. Um, and I think he responded to a couple things. I don't remember which was, but I don't know if you, you got uh, reviewed it. 
and yeah, yeah. Um, responded yeah, we did. on his comments I, I, before. I, I did. He um, he took about 20 minutes or so to respond in depth to a five-minute segment uh, that we had online about whether Calvinism reflected the, the character and nature of God. So he gave a careful response to it, and then uh, uh, he sent me a link to listen. So the next day on the air, then I, I gave a response. So it is, it is on our site, uh, my response to oh. Dr. White. And I, I tried to play as many clips from him as I could and then respond within about a half hour. It's just to do it justice because his response was long. I didn't want to make like a two-hour respond, response just 20 minutes. But, yes, I, I went back on that, and, and you will find it. Uh, if, if, uh, if my team finds the exact show, then uh, we'll, we'll announce it just in a few minutes on the air or put a link up in the YouTube chat, okay? Thank you, Dr. Brown. just wanted to uh, look at what your response was. And, I mean, both of you guys uh, make excellent points. I mean, ultimately, yeah, and, and to, um, ultimately, we're both, yeah. Same team, following the same God, saved by the same blood. Exactly. Yep, and, and uh, absolutely, yeah. saved by grace. Hey, thank you for the question and call. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let us go to Tyler in Virginia. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Wonderful. I just had a quick question for you. I really appreciate your work. Um, among some of the younger believers um, in the 20s and early 30s, there's been a um, movement called I.O. recently emerging, Israel-only theology. And just mm-hmm. wanted to maybe see if you could respond to it. The biggest point that they've been making was uh, that when Jesus created the New Covenant, he made it to where those the southern kingdom, the Jews, and those from the scattered of the northern kingdom, those in the nations that were cut off by the Old Covenant, come together and make the new people, the Bride of Christ being the 144,000. Um, basically saying that Jesus is not the modern Savior, but simply came for the the Jews and those that were not practicing the tradition of Jewish culture. And just wanted to see how you could respond to that. Yeah, it's it's a bizarre development. Some years back, there was a teaching that said that that Jewish people say that's that's the Jews, but that all Gentiles actually are scattered. All Gentile Christians are actually scattered members of the lost tribes of Israel. A very bizarre theory. You could have made a spiritual application and said that the way God unites Israel and Judah is a picture of God uniting Gentile and Jew. You know, you could have made it into a spiritual metaphor or something. But people actually believed, okay, we're descendants of the lost tribes and scattered, and so it's completely unscriptural. So the first thing I would emphasize is, is the scriptural language, that you have Israel and you have the Gentiles. So, for example, in Romans 9 through 11, Paul lays out repeatedly that Israel rejects the gospel. It goes to the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles are called to provoke Israel to jealousy. You couldn't say it any more plainly. And Jew and Gentile, Israel and, and, and the nations, the circumcised and the uncircumcised. So every which way it's telling you that Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. He's referred to as that, First Timothy 4, he is the Savior of the whole world, and especially of those who believe they receive the benefits of his salvation. Uh, the grace of God it comes to all men, Titus 2, 11 and following. God so loves the world, John three sixty, and, and on and on and on it goes. But again, what is the power, Romans one sixteen? the power of the gospel to everyone who believes? What? 
uh, this message, right, of faith is the, is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So the distinctions are clear. Jew and Gentile, the tribes of Israel are never called Gentiles, the people of the nations. Uh, when you look at the prophecies, for example, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, God calls the Messiah to regather the people of Israel and be a light to the nations. So how else could you say it? It's, it's clear. Israel only is just another. You know, it just makes me wonder, don't people have anything better to do than to come up with another crazy <laughs> theology? you got people dying at your doorstep. You have two-plus billion people who have never heard the, the name of Jesus. And, and we got to come up with wacky theology instead of reaching people with the gospel? But thank you for the call, Tyler. 866-34-TRUTH. We go to Pennsylvania. Joshua, welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, okay, so my question is, um, as a 16-year-old, I just got saved in May, and I wanted to know your advice for young Christians like me who go to public school and are being indoctrinated in the gay rights stuff and the liberal bias and all that stuff. Ah. So I just wanted your advice in Joshua, first, uh, welcome to the family. Uh, wonderful. Can I just ask you, in, in a nutshell, what was your background before coming to faith? Were you in a nominal Christian home? Or you, were you in the world the way I was? Well, um, I was brought up in a fairly conservative Christian home. Uh, my dad got saved back in the 90s. Uh, my mom got saved back then as well. And uh, I guess I always kind of believed in Jesus, but I never gave him my life. Uh, mm-hmm. And around Christmas time of last year, I just kind of went to church for the first time in a few years, and I started crying when I got home, because mm. uh, they were talking about eternity, and I was like, man, am I going to go to hell? And uh, mm. so over the next couple months, I started reading the Bible uh, in depth, uh, and the Lord just kind of s- took me into his hand and just worked through me, and then I got saved. Awesome. Wonderful to hear. All right, so first, you're in the perfect place. Public school, liberal school, perfect. You couldn't be in a better place if you asked for it. So the first thing is, I spent a lot of time with God. I read the Word, and I prayed day and night. I went to a lot of church services, so I was constantly in worship services, preaching, but I immersed myself. I read the Word and prayed day and night. I got to the point where I used to spend six or seven hours alone with God every day, I would, I would read the Bible at least two hours a day. I used to memorize 20 verses every day, which took me an hour a day. I would pray at least three hours a day. I'd share the gospel with at least one person every day. Now, that can be legalistic for some, but I'm just saying I spent a lot of time with God. So don't get caught up right now, this first year or two, reading a ton of other books because you've got your schoolwork and everything to do. Read the Bible a lot. Read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. Don't read a lot of other books and get like, on all kinds of theological tangents, and you have plenty of time for that. But now is when you're laying the foundations. Look at it like this. Imagine that, that if you uh, exercised a certain way for the next two years, that that would determine your fitness for the rest of your life, right? Um, you know, you, you would go out of your way, or, or if, if you put a little money aside the next two years, that would, that would determine your, your prosperity the rest of your life. Well, you have a unique opportunity to lay foundations now because you're not in college yet, you're not married yet, you're not working your full-time career job yet, you don't have kids yet. So take this as a sacred time. That's number one. 
Number two, look at your school as a mission field. When I got saved, so in the early 70s, counterculture revolution, things were pretty crazy then too. But I was part of a little school within our school where the the craziest, drug-using, most sexually promiscuous kids were. We were all together because we went on strike and we were given the special school. And crazy story, but true. So a- anyway, what what happened was I was in an environment where you know, it was a sinful environment, but now it was mission field for me. So every day, pray that God would give you an opportunity to talk with someone and just don't talk politics. Just love people. There'll be plenty of time to talk about these issues and those issues. All you want to do is, is care about people and their relationship with God. Don't get drawn into a, you know, do you like Trump or not, or you're conservative or not, or what about gay rights? Say, look, all I care about, I, I love people, and I know Jesus, and I want people to know Jesus. I don't want to get distracted, because otherwise you will be in constant conflict day and night over these other issues. And if they say, look, you know, what does the Bible say? Say, okay, let's look. Let's, let's see what the Bible says. Let's study it together. Let's see what it says. But if you concentrate on people, not politics, not policies, concentrate on people. And when you get stymied, when you when you people raise questions about abortion or about homosexual issues or whatever, shoot us a note. We, we're happy to point you in the right direction with resources or just search our website for the right subject. We've got tons of stuff waiting for you. But Joshua, stay in touch with us. All right. I, I want to see you grow and be strong and healthy in the Lord. And Father, I pray that just as you met with me at the age of 16, that you'll meet with Joshua and that you will raise him up to be a solid man of God in your community, solid in the word, solid in prayer, solid in character. Keep him safe, Father, in Jesus' name. All right, friends, we will be right back and continue to take your calls. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, If you've not read my latest article, it's The Public Didn't Get the Memo that Chick-fil-A is a Terrible Place to Eat. Yeah, uh, number one fast food restaurant in the country, despite the boycotts and the hate speech and all that. So it's on our website or on stream.org. Be sure to give it a read. All right, um, let us go to Jim in Iowa. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thanks, Dr. Brown. How you doing? I'm good. Feeling very well. Thank you. Good, good. Hey, praise the Lord for the 16-year-old that just shared that he came to Christ. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, yeah, great, great age to... Great yeah, age and he, he sounds like he's got a good head on his shoulders that. for 16, too. He does, yeah, he does. Hey, just a couple calls ago, it's interesting, you know, when you hear somebody say, well, you know, you use the word Trinity or rapture, and then you hear somebody say, well, it doesn't really say paid for our sins in the Scriptures, and of course it's always something you kind of grow up with or assume that uh, is there. and uh, But a couple of scriptures I thought about, Second Corinthians uh, 5.21 says, He made him who had no sin uh, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That would be pretty close. 
Yeah, well, well again, the, the, the fact that he dies for our sins, right, that he yeah. takes our place, that he's our substitute, to me is another way of saying paying for our sins. When, when, right. he, when, he, when our caller points out, well, look, paying for, I'm thinking specifically in terms of paying off a debt, which is a different, okay, so that's, that's a different side to it, and that's the point he was emphasizing. But, yes, the overall when you say Jesus paid for my sins, it means I was guilty. I owe this. I should have been on the one on right. the cross. He took my place. So as long as we emphasize right. the substitutionary aspect of it, then we're on the right track. If we just say, well, he, yeah. he paid off my debt, then the caller was right to say that that, that doesn't cover the mm. scope of what he did. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. in fact, the debt got ca- the, we did have a debt, and it got canceled when he died for us. That is reality. Yes. Yeah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is an amazing thing. I, it is. I was up this morning early and just thinking about forgiveness and how we, we, you know, I, at least I, I sometimes we use that word where God's forgiven me of my sins and we just, you know, we, it doesn't sometimes hit me. This morning it seemed to hit me more about just what that really meant, what it yeah. took for and, and, him to do that. Right, and, and the sin of the whole world. Think of the immensity of our guilt, the immensity of our evil, the things that only God knows. The entire human race through history, Jesus, because of being God in the flesh, was able to pay for, die for, take the place of every one of our sins, and for those who put our trust in him, make us righteous. Wow. Wow, is, yeah, it's something that's overwhelming. Hey, thank you. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to Pete in Ireland. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Ren. How's it going? Hey. Um, Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. So my question is, uh, a friend of mine asked me when Jesus ascended to heaven, uh, you know, bodily, where did he go and, you know, could we... Uh, track that path with a telescope. How literally should we take this? Yeah, so it, it's it's an interesting question, and I think in all of my years of of, uh, of doing radio, it's the first time I've been asked the question in that way. So so here's what here's what we do know. Okay, that that it says it says this um, Acts one eleven that um, as as he's going right. Uh, okay, verse 9, after he'd said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he's going there gazing into heaven, suddenly two men in white clothes, you know, why are you looking? He's going to come back the same way. So it was a literal ascension. There's going to be a literal return. It was a literal ascension. And they were able to f- see him up to a certain point, and then a cloud took him out of their sight. So at a certain point, he's taken into another realm, Right. At a certain point, he, he steps over into another realm and would have disappeared. So maybe with a telescope, you could have followed him further. But the way it seems is once he got into that cloud, he's now taken away. So I don't know that a telescope would have helped you because he now steps into that other realm. Because it's not like he's just going up, up, up. And heaven is like if yeah. you go 11 trillion miles up that you get to heaven, you know, it's, it's another yeah. dimension. But it was a physical ascent, and then he's taken away. So I don't know that a telescope would have helped you a whole lot once you got to that point. 
Okay, well, thank you for the answer. I really appreciate your show. Sure thing. Thanks for listening from Ireland. And again, point your friend to Acts 1, beginning verse 9. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Sonia in Florida. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Hey. Um, well, my question is, um, and actually, I, if we have enough time at the end, I'd like to say something about Yesopotam and Monica, if that's all right. Why don't but you say that, say all, that first? Well, um, about 15 years ago or so, I was at a church where he, he and Monica spoke, mainly him, and I cannot tell you that is the, I'm about to cry, uh, the first time in my life I've really felt the love of God coming out of someone. Mm. And it was very powerful, and I've never forgotten it. Oh, so well, I, I hear I'll, I'll let them know that. And they are, you talk about the love of God coming out of people. And, you know, I've been in India now with him 26 times in 26 years, and he's just here with us. And uh, what always strikes me is when we're doing water baptisms together. And it's because I don't go there, I don't preach, do evangelism. We don't go there and proselytize just with, with why I'm there. You know, I'm serving the leaders there. But when we do, when we do water baptisms, and I watch him, and we'll be baptizing elderly folks, children, and others. And there's always this love and tenderness. And then he has mm-hmm. a heart. You know, they have a, a school there for handicapped where they can learn. You know, you can't use your, your hands, but you can learn to, to move something with your feet. Or you're crippled in this way, but you can do, you know, so they train them, the elderly, the orphans. And he really knows that's, that's Jesus' heart and because he was an untouchable himself. And God saved him when he was, you know, a rebel and a wretch. So it really does come through him. But I'll, I'll let him know that. All right, your question real quick. Go ahead. Okay, so it's concerning, uh, I would say, corporate prayer. And actually, a friend and I were talking about this um, at lunch today. So when you're in the setting of corporate prayer, and how do you handle something if um, someone is praying something that you know is not biblical? Mm-hmm. You know, I've had that happen before, and I mm-hmm. did not know what to do. I wanted to go, no, stop! And I'm like, well, I don't know if I can do that or not, but, but you know, yeah. how... Well, it, so we, it, it depends on a few things. Uh, one is, is uh, how egregious is the prayer? Another is, what kind of people are there? Are, are they young, impressionable? Um, what's the situation? If it was something egregious and... I saw there were people there that were going to be negatively influenced by it. With my role as a leader, I would then correct it, either through a prayer or in a constructive way. I might go up to the person first and say, hey, I don't want to embarrass you, but I just need to to correct that. If it was not something egregious, and if you had fairly mature people there in the prayer meeting, uh, they probably all recognize it's a little funny. I'd go up to the person afterwards and speak with them to correct it. And if it wasn't my role, then I'd bring it to leadership and say, hey, I just want you to know this happened, and this might confuse some people, and ask them to, to deal with it. On God's end, he's, he's, not, he's not bent out of shape over it. So it all depends on, on those factors. Hey, thank you for the call and the kind words about Yesipadam and Monica. Uh, we'll go back to Canada. Carl, welcome to the line of fire. How are you doing, Dr. Brown? Doing well, thank you. Super. I have a quick question about Acts. Uh, two, two related questions about Acts 15. Yeah. 
Um, when Peter says, sorry? Go ahead. Yeah, uh, Peter says that, um, uh, let me see here, in verse, um, and I'm looking at where he says, he says to the, to the other brethren, to the council, he says, um, I'm trying to find the verse now, I'm sorry, to, I had it here with me. All right, time is short, so you better try to go for it. Do you know the substance of the question? Uh, well, yeah, when well, he says that, uh, he says that, why put on the Gentiles the yoke that we could not bear? Right. And so, how do you how do you understand that? And the second one is the final determination in at the Council of Jerusalem uh, says that the Gentiles were to abstain from meat uh, with blood, uh, meat strangled. Um, right. Right. So, so, the, so the verdict of the council. Yeah. Yep. So. Uh, real quick, and sorry to have to just jump in, uh, what what Peter was talking about was the Sinai Covenant and trying to bring Gentiles under the Sinai Covenant. And because of the sinful nature of man and the perfection of God, the Sinai Covenant brought death. And he wasn't talking about legalism or Jewish tradition as much as the Sinai Covenant. And it, it, it ex- exposed human sin and pointed us to our need for a Savior. So that's that's one thing. Uh, as far as the end of Acts 15, it remains relevant. It was especially important then for table fellowship with, with Jew and Gentile. But what I would say is, let's look at the rest of the New Testament. Since you have the rest of the letters, since you have, say, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, Colossians 2, other passages dealing with relevant issues like this, look at the rest of the teaching in the New Testament and live by that. All right, friends, don't forget, only a few more days to pre-order... Jezebel's War with American, get more than $50 of free material when you do go to Jezebel's War with America.com. Have a blessed weekend.